invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We are coming to the end of this book. We've been in it for a little while, uh, really longer than I, I realized uh, that we would, but we probably have three or four lessons left in Philippians. That will get us up to Easter, and we'll, on Easter we'll talk about uh, the Lord's resurrection, uh, that Easter is a foundational point of our uh, Christian faith, the resurrected Lord. Everything that we believe hinges on whether or not the Lord raised from the dead. If, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, all the rest of it doesn't matter. Amen? Amen. So we'll talk about that uh, on Easter Sunday. And then, Lord willing, our spring series, I haven't decided for sure whether we're going to look full-blown into the Sermon on the Mount uh, on Matthews 5 through 7, or whether we're going to look at praying the Lord's way, just looking at the model prayer from the Lord. I'm leaning toward doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, those three chapters in Matthew, that's Jesus' most extensive uh, preaching. It's his most, uh, the most familiar preaching that we have of Jesus. But I also think it is the most countercultural section of scripture that we'll find. So come on back in April as we start opening up uh, God's word with that and, and we'll take a look probably at the Sermon on the Mount starting, Lord willing, that first Sunday in April. But this morning, Philippians chapter 4. And as I said, we are coming to the end of this book and as we get there, Paul says in verse 1 of Philippians 4, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. As we get to the end of this book, Paul tells the Philippians, that they need to stand firm, that they need to stay right where they are and stand firm. The term stand firm is a military term, and it has the idea of holding the line. No matter what happens, you stand firm, you hold this line. When you watch a football game, those of you who like football, quite often the football game is won and lost on what we call the line of scrimmage, the offensive line and the defensive line. Their job is to hold firm, hold that line. So many times as Christians, how often in your Christian life and, and how often in my Christian life do we let, have, let Satan have ground that has already been won? We, we give ground. Satan attacks. Instead of us standing firm, we, we back up a little bit and, and we give up conquered ground. And So Paul tells his brethren here at Philippi, he says, stand firm. Stand tough. And then he gives us several ways that we do that. And, and this morning we're going to look at the first one of those ways. And that's the idea of us being peacemakers. We stand firm in the Lord by being peacemakers and by living and operating and functioning in peace. We have to learn to live in peace and learn to be peacemakers with one another. You know, a while back I was thinking about all of the dangers outside the church that could creep into the church. 
uh, worldliness, false teachers, uh, just enemies outside government, different things, attacks from outside the church, and those are real enemies. But the more I thought about that, Satan does, in my mind, Satan does his greatest damage to local congregations from within. Enemies from within. And one of the greatest ways that Satan accomplishes that in a local church is he gets the church folks at odds with one another. Uh, they, they, peace gets broken one way or another. And even in good churches, we find this situation happening. And Paul has already told the Philippian brethren twice, once in Philippians 1.27, once in chapter 2, that we need to have the same mind. You all need to be unified. And he has hinted that there was a problem in the Philippian church with folks not getting along with each other. And in our reading today, Paul gets to the root of the problem. He says there are two ladies that aren't getting along with one another. We'll talk more about those ladies here in just a second. But how do we go about being sure that we stay at peace at Old New Hope Baptist Church? And how do we go about, if brothers get cross-eyed with each other, how do we go about fixing that and getting them united back with one another? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to be known as peacemakers, right? In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. So how do we do that? If, if Paul gives us a peacekeeping process here in the first three verses of Philippians 4 of how we go about keeping peace and making peace. And first of all, in verse 1, we have to learn to love everybody. We need to learn to love each other. Can you hear the love that Paul has for these Philippian brethren when we reread verse 1? He says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, you're my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved, or loved ones. Paul says, I love you guys. He, Paul, remember, you go to Acts 16 when Paul came to Philippi on his missionary journey and, and started the church there and planted that church. He loves them. They, they're on his heart. And the different churches that I have, where I have been pastor, those churches are on my heart. And I pray for them still. And they're still my beloved brethren. And, and I do anything I could to help those churches today. That's the way Paul feels for the Philippians. Paul says, you, you got to love Everybody. And he lets them know that he loves them. But let me say something about loving our brothers. It's got to be more than just words. I love you are three of the easiest words to say. I mean, those are very easy. I love you. They are all simple words. They are all easy words to say. But it's one thing to say you love somebody. It's another thing to show that through your actions. I could tell Marie I love her, but if I came in every day saying, where's supper, and I can't believe this house looks like this, and where's my clothes, and where, but I love you. Marie would question whether or not I loved her, wouldn't she? You know, church folks do that. We talk about how much, uh, picture this on your way to church. This 
This has happened in my home. It's probably happened in your home as well. You wake up and you're behind because the alarm doesn't go off. And so you're trying to get ready. And you're trying to eat. And you ask your wife, where's my tie? She says, I don't know, but where's my purse? And the kids have mismatching shoes. And you try to get all that out. You're on your way to church or in the car. And you're talking. You kids need to settle down back there. Y'all need to call. Y'all need to do this and that. You get to church. Hello, brother so-and-so. How are you? It's one thing to say we love. It's another thing to show we love, isn't it? If we're going to be a peaceful congregation, we've got to love each other. And I hesitate to make this comment, but I've got to make it. We have to love those folks, even the ones that aren't easy to love. Amen? There are some people that you just can't help but love. They have a smile on their face all the time. They, they help one another. They call and ask if there's anything. Do you need anything? Can I get their servants? That's just the way that they are. Then there are other folks that never seem to smile. And they're grouchy and they're hard to get along with. You know we're called to love all those folks? Remember what scripture says? For God so loved the world. Guess who's included in the world? Those folks that aren't so lovable. Uh, it would be easy for me sometimes to see some of the folks that I work with in prison. You read their record and say, well, look at all that stuff you did. No wonder this turned out like this. Or somebody that is, you've got a family that member that's an addict. Y'all, y'all, a lot of y'all work with that, right? Your family members, your loved ones, they, they've been alcoholics, they've been drug addicts, and and you love, and, and they get to where they're really hard to love because they stole money from you. And, and sometimes you got to do the tough love thing. But Friday, we go home at 4, and Friday at 3.45, a counselor called me and said, we have a young man in our segregated unit that he lost his mother, and he needs somebody to talk to. So I, I went to talk to him, and I, when I got there, he was, you could tell the walls were up. Uh, he had just came into Turney Center. He came from special needs. And he just got to Turney Center, and I said, uh, how are you doing? He said, well, how do you think I'm doing? My mom has died. And he, she said, I, he said, I want to go to the funeral. I said, well, right now with COVID, the state's not allowing any kind of funeral uh, to, to take place. And I, I said, I'm sorry. I said, now, if your family will record the funeral and send a DVD. I'll let you, we can let you watch that. And they said, oh, nobody cares anyway. And. I said, well, would you read some material if I sent it to you? He said, I don't have, he said, I don't want nothing to do with God. I don't want anything to do with your material. He said, just leave me alone. And I almost turned around. I almost said, if I can help you, let me know. But I, I thought for a minute, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from a little town outside of Nashville you never heard of. And I said, try me. He said, I'm from Madison. I said, Madison? I said, I'm from Madison. I said, where did you go to school? He said, I went to school at Stratford. I said, so you're a Spartan. I said, those uh, orange and black colored Spartans, they were always a tough team to beat. And we started talking about Madison, the Madison we grew up in. And we talked for about 30 minutes, and I could see the ice breaking. And finally, big tears came up in his eyes. And he said, you're the first person since I, he said, I've been incarcerated now for three years. He said, you're the first person that's actually sat down and talked to me like I'm a human being. 
And uh, I said, you are a human being. I said, I love you. I said, more than that, Jesus loves you. I said, are you sure you don't want to read some information I've got maybe? To, it talks about dealing with grief. And, and I'm going to send him some stuff about Jesus too because Jesus is the one that helps us through that. But he said, you know what? I think maybe that would help me. And he said, thank you for taking the time. He said, you didn't have to come see me. You could have waited to Monday. And I plan on going back to seeing him Monday. But, I, and I'm not doing all that for y'all to say, oh, brother Andy, what a great thing. What I'm saying is we got to learn to love everybody. Because did you know every human being you come into contact with is made in the image of God? That struggling person is made in God's image. And let's not even talk about the person that's out there. People in the church building have a hard time getting along with each other because they don't like their personality or they don't like their work. Y'all, we don't have time for that. I will say something sounds really simple. God doesn't have time for ugly. We don't have to, we've got too much to do for God's kingdom than to get crossways with each other. So Paul says, first of all, love everybody. He says, I love you, brother. I love every one of you. And then secondly, we have to treat, when, when a spatter rises, you have to treat both sides equally. Look at verse 2, Philippians 4, verse 2. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. The first thing I thought when I read this verse is why couldn't they be named Sue and Diane? You know, maybe they're easy to pronounce. But they're not. But anyway, apparently these women had gotten into such a tip. Remember Paul when he writes this, he's in Rome. So Paul has heard about these two women that have gotten crossways with each other. And so he addressed, now he's been hinting in verse chapter 1 and chapter 2 that there's some unity problems at Philippi. But now he comes right out and he talks about the problem. He says, I implore or I beseech Euodia and I implore or beseech Syntyche. Notice how Paul doesn't take sides. He, he doesn't even say, I implore Euodia and Syntyche. He says, I implore Euodia, I implore, he tells them both the same thing. He is gentle, he is fair, he is, he operates, he doesn't say now one's right, one's wrong. I tend to believe this is probably a personal spat and not a doctrinal spat. Had it been a doctrinal spat, we know Paul from his other writings, he's pretty plain about stopping and saying, here's what God says about this, here's the way you're supposed to do it and I'll fix it. Paul doesn't do that in this discussion. He just says, these two ladies, y'all need to get together and get your mind right. He said, y'all have, uh, y'all are hurting the work. There is nothing, that's a blanket statement, there is almost nothing that will harm the reputation of a church, a local church in the community as much as a spat that goes on inside that church. And you think they don't know? They do. When churches split, it's a bad thing for everybody. There are churches that have had, I know of a church today that has split 30 years ago that has not got over it to this day. 
There are people that quit going to church as a result of that church split that haven't set foot in a church in 30 years too. And that's the collateral damage that's done with church splits. But that this sermon isn't about church splits. It's how do we get together. And one way we do that is to, to treat everybody fairly, not take sides. Sometimes in church splits, now if it's something doctrinal, we need to stand up and say, this is what the Bible says, here's what we're going to do. There's a time for that, amen? But how many times are church splits caused by personalities or by what color we're going to paint the carpet or whether we're going to have a regular piano or an electric piano, uh, whether we're going to paint the church wall white or paint it tan, whether we're going to use the red hymnals or the white hymnals, whether we're going to sing praise songs or con traditional songs. And sure, we take sides and we, we almost have three or four churches within one church and none of them get along with each other. When I was talking to the music committee at Trace Creek Baptist Church when I was interviewing years ago before I was a pastor, I was a music minister and I was interviewing with their uh, music team and the, the music leadership team. And they say, well, what kind of music are you for? And I knew they wanted me to say contemporary or traditional because I knew there had been a little bit of a squabble in the church as to what kind of music they were going to do. And I said, well, I'm for godly music. How about y'all? And that, and what we ended up doing, we ended up blending, the, blending it. And if you do it in the right way, you can do that. But so many of us, we, 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 we like our way and we want our way and we're going to have our way or bust. Well, you know what I'll do if we won't do it this way? I'll just go start another church. You ever wonder how so many churches of the same denomination get wrapped up in the, within five or six miles of each other? When you do the homework on it, chances are they've split from each other. Over some, now Sometimes it's doctrinal. Sometimes you have to take a stand. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about that time. If that time ever comes to old new hope, we're going to stand with the Lord and let the pieces fall where they may. Amen? Amen. But I'm talking about personalities. I'm talking about just getting along with each other. If we're going to settle us, if there's two brothers that get crossways, if Bob and Joe get crossways with each other, as a church, it's not our job to take Bob and Joe's side. It's our job to bring Bob and Joe together and say, y'all got to remember y'all are Christians, right? And that's what Paul does. He, he treats them gently. He treats them fairly. And when you do that, people tend to listen with an open heart and an open mind. If Bob and Joe are fighting with each other, and I take Joe's side, even if maybe Joe is mostly right, how do you think Bob's going to react? He's going to feel attacked, isn't he? Because I've taken, especially as a pastor, I've taken Joe's side. Or as church members start taking, if more of them take Joe's side. We've got to get folks remembering where their focus is. And that leads to number three. First of all, we have to love everybody. Second of all, we have to treat everybody gently and fairly. Number three, the peacemaker has to seek unity. Look at verse two again. I implored Euodia and I implored Syntyche to be of the same mind 
in the Lord. Paul's objective is that these two ladies get their mind back where their mind needed to be. They needed to be back focused on the Lord, focused on God, not their disagreement. Because you know what happens? If Bob thinks the carpet ought to be maroon, and Joe thinks the carpet ought to be tan, and they're just headbutting over carpet color, if we can get Joe and Bob realizing that the most important thing is Jesus, and what this building is going to be used for anyway is to preach and teach Jesus so that folks come to Jesus, when we start looking at that, doesn't it make something like a carpet color seem secondary? Does it matter in the long run whether it's blue or maroon? Or Now, we probably ought not paint it neon pink. If anybody likes neon pink, I'm sorry. If that's what y'all want, we can do it. But isn't the important thing Jesus? Isn't the important thing having our mind on Jesus? The problem is we get our mind on our disagreements. And when I, I counsel couples in marriage counseling, they'll be squabbling and they'll be fighting. I said, one of their homework assignments that I give them, I want you to make me a list of why you married your spouse. Because by the time they come to me in marriage counseling, they pretty much think their spouse is a spawn of Satan. So my question to them both is, if they are so bad, why did you marry them? So I, I make them, why did you marry your spouse? And, and we'll come back to this illustration. Keep that in your mind. We'll come back to that little homework assignment. Y'all are going to get married. Y'all all sit and think why you're marrying each other. <laughs> Y'all that have been married for a while, it doesn't hurt you to stop back and self-assess why did you marry that person you married. We'll come back to that question. But when you focus on Jesus and not the disagreements, it makes the disagreements seem small. When you focus and you bring your mind back to the Lord, it helps us remember the things that are important. Being of one mind in Jesus. Have you noticed how many times the phrase in the Lord is used in this book? We're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Be gentle in the Lord. Be of one mind in the Lord. And I didn't look it up. It just popped in my head. But if we could Google how many times in the Lord is found or open up a Strong's, you'd be surprised how many times that phrase is found in the book of Philippians. The Lord is our foundation. Everything we do at O New Hope is supposed to be in the Lord. We teach in the Lord. We worship in the Lord. We pray in the Lord. And when we're one-minded there, it's going to be hard to tear us apart. But when we're making peace, also, we talked about unity. It's got to be real unity. There is a false unity that happens sometimes in churches. And it happens in marriages. It happens in American history. I'll give you an example here in a minute. But sometimes in churches, churches will get in a split. And there's a group that have the most numbers to get their way in a vote. And so the church votes for it to be this way. 
But you've got this other group that's not real happy with it, but there's not enough of them to overthrow it. So they just kind of be it quiet. Somebody says, are you unified? Oh, we're at peace. Are we really at peace? It's not real peace. If you go back to American history, do you know why the Apache Indians asked the Americans for peace? It wasn't because they wanted to give up. It's because the Americans had cannons and the Apaches had bow and arrows. And there's like 47 million Americans and there were a thousand Apaches. It wasn't a real peace. Sometimes husbands and wives. Husband says, I'm the husband and what I say goes and we're going to do what I say do because he's bigger and stronger and that's, that's peace. That's not peace. Because you know what happens? We'll go back to our illustration with the church that had this group, the few more people than this group. When the balance, of, if these, some of these folks leave or pass away and the balance of power shifts, the same fight comes back up again. Because we've never really made peace. We've never, we just, peace is not an absence of conflict. That's not a true definition of peace. We've got to be at peace. I'm here to tell you, that when you, when you read America, I'm a fan of, of the West and American history. If the Apaches that have had cannons, and if there had been as many of them as there was us, the Apaches would still be loose. Because Geronimo, I think, only had 40 warriors were the most he ever had following him, and it took us like six years to capture them with cannons. So... When we're looking for unity, it's got to be real unity. Where do we find that real unity? Being one-minded in Christ. Jesus is where we find that unity. What what would best serve Jesus? If we ever get to the point where we're trying to, there's there's groups of two of us that want, two groups of us that want to do something. The real answer should not be who's the strongest group. The real answer should be. How could we best show Jesus? Which of these resolutions, which of these results show you? How, how can we more let folks see Jesus in that? That's where it's, it's got all got to come back to being unified in Jesus. Not just content with the cessation of hostilities. The peacemaker seeks to take the next step and deal with the divisiveness of mind that's the true cause of the problem. When, we, when, when brothers and sisters start fighting with one another, our mind's off of Jesus. And if we're going to fix that, we've got to get our minds back on Jesus. Number four, look at verse 30. Paul says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women. If we're going to be peacemakers, we have to ask for help when it's available. Paul wasn't too proud to call for help. Paul was in Rome in prison. And he is asking these two women to be unified and remember the love they have for the Lord and remember the love they have in the Lord with each other and get back to majoring in the majors. But Paul asked someone who was there at Philippi to help these women as well. And we don't know who this yoke fellow or who this true companion is. It is specified toward a person. Uh, could be Epaphroditus, could be Luke. Paul doesn't call him by name, but whoever it was, he would have known who he, 
who was being referred to. Do y'all know what a yoke is? We use that word yoke. That's that piece of wood that you put on cattle or oxen. You put, the ox puts his head on one side and the other ox has his head in the hole and that wood goes between them. To keep, it, it helps them balance out the work and make sure that the row gets uh, plowed evenly. Well, Paul says, there's my yoke fellow that is there. We share a yoke. That's what yoke fellow means. We share a yoke. You're there in Philippi. We work together. He says, help these women. Help these folks. A lot of times when churches get into squabbles, you'll get one person trying to solve that. And that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But isn't it better when everybody works together to try to help solve the issue? If you need help, don't be afraid to call for help. We'll gladly use the help that every people can give or that other people can give. If Bob and Joe are not getting along with each other, and I say, I'm going to help Bob and Joe solve this fight, so I'll wait in. I'm going to be the peacemaker. And Fred over here says, Andy, let me help you with Bob and Joe. And I got this. I, I, I'm, I'm going to solve this problem. Well, the problem Andy has is, is Andy wants to be known as the peacemaker. Boy, Andy sure did do a good job solving that problem. I need to have the attitude that we're all, we're all a congregation together, right? We should all be working together. If, there, if, if we get cross-eyed with one another, church members get cross-eyed with each other, we all ought to jump in and try to help in that situation. Paul says, I need help. Now, Paul was a super Christian. He was a church planner. He was an apostle. He was a church writer. But he also realized there's a time and a place for somebody else to help. And then finally, verse 3, Paul says, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. When we are trying to be peacemakers, we need to learn to see the good in other people and give credit when credit is due. These two ladies probably helped start the church at Philippi. If you remember the history, Paul in Acts chapter 16 gets to Philippi, and Paul's normal custom is to go to the synagogue and preach first. Well, there was no synagogue in Philippi because there weren't ten men that you had to have ten men to form a synagogue. So apparently there weren't ten faithful Jewish men in Philippi. But Paul heard of the group of ladies that met down by the riverside. And so Paul went down to the riverside and he met Lydia and these other ladies. And a church was planted out of that group. We think probably Euodia and Syntyche if not part of this original group, were very early uh, converts to the church there at Philippi because Paul said, these women, they worked with me. They're good women. They've worked hard. They've worked with Clement. They've worked with some other folks here uh, that, have, that, have, that worked with me. These are good ladies, y'all. Sometimes church members get cross-eyed and crossways with each other and we forget to remember that they're Christian people. Remember the project I talked to you a while about a while ago? But why'd you marry your husband or wife? 
it never fails when they come back the next week. They'll all have a big long list of why they married their spouse. And I'll ask the question. I'll ask the husband. I'll say, is she still that way? And he'll say, well, yeah, but. I said, no, hold it. Just, yeah, that's what I want to hear. And I'll ask the wife. I said, is your husband still this way? Well, yeah, but. but. No, but. Yeah. I said, now your next assignment is focus on the good that your husband does. Focus on the good that your wife does. Y'all focus on the good and come back and report to me what happens. And 95% of the cases when they come back, I'll say, how did your week go? They'll say, that's the best week we have had in forever. I said, well, why? Because I was focused on the good things. We got to remember in a church, y'all, Old New Hope Baptist Church, Paul says these people's names are in the book of life. When we get crossways with one another, we're still talking about Christian people that are going to heaven when they die. These people that may be crossways, they may have worked together in a local church for years and all of a sudden they've gotten crossways. And they'll forget the 30 years of good that they had done together over a month of getting crossways. Here's a question. If you can't stand to worship for an hour with brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so because you don't like their attitude or you don't like the way they sing or you don't like the way they laugh or you don't like this or like that. If you can't spend an hour a week with them worshiping God, how in the world are you going to be able to spend an eternity in heaven with them? Have we thought about that? Those people we fight with, if you ask the two involved, Bob and Joe again. Bob thinks Joe's the worst person in the world. Joe thinks Bob's the worst person in the world. But if I said Bob and Joe, do you, Bob, do you think Joe's going to heaven? Oh, yeah. Joe, do you think Bob's going to heaven? Oh, yeah. And for feet's sakes, y'all be unified in the Lord. And let's get busy getting after what God wants us to do. Stand firm. But the way, one of the ways we stand firm is to live in peace and be at peace. And as we wrap all this up, in a world that's as divided as ours, would you say we live in a divided world today? I'm not just talking about it in the church. I'm talking about in the world. We live in a divided world that's not just divided. It's ready to fight. Uh, on, on both sides of the aisles, over a bunch of different issues, there is a grave need for those who can serve as faithful and effective peacemakers. Hopefully, as we look at it, consider Paul's plan for making peace, as we've seen in this passage, we may be useful to the Lord when we're called upon to bring divided people together. Let me tell you what our world does not need right now. Our world does not need another loud, angry voice. It's got plenty of them. 
Our world needs people that want to stand up and say, hey guys, let's quit talking and let's listen. Let's quit fighting and let's try to come together and, and unify. Let's quit looking at what divides us. Let's look at what brings us together. And that starts with being brought together with God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. You say, well, I don't have a calling. I'm going to show you what your calling is as a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Paul says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us. Who's us? That's us, right? Christians. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now watch this. And has given us, who's us? Christians, the ministry of reconciliation. You know what you and I are called to do? We're called to bring people together. Christians ought not be divisive. We ought to be the ones that are bringing folks together. And it starts by being reconciled with God. Notice how Paul starts this verse. He said, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. We're never going to be at peace with our fellow man if we don't get at peace with God. So it starts with God. And once we've made peace with God through Jesus Christ, then we're called to help other folks find peace. We're called to help the world find peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we're called to help each other as Christians to keep our mind where our mind needs to be in the Lord so that we can stay at peace. 